The Camby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Today is March 19th, 2020, and this is the Cambio Report. I'm Ian Bushfield. We have a special episode tonight. I have two interviews that I just recorded on how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting drug users and those living in the downtown east side. First, I spoke with Karen Ward, a longtime advocate who was just hired as the downtown east side crisis response coordinator with the city of Vancouver. Then I talked to Garth Mullins, the host of the Crackdown podcast and a longtime drug user advocate. But before that, a couple public service announcements. First, as Dr. Bonnie Henry has been reminding us each and every day, maintaining social distancing is super important. We're all working from home almost 24-7 these days. I'm only getting outside for walks and bike rides to stay sane. I avoid touching anything when I'm out. I wash my hands thoroughly when I get home. Please make sure you're doing the same. Second, as we're all trying to avoid going squirrely in our homes, we've decided to open up our patron slack to all listeners for the duration of the lockdown. We created a COVID-19 channel that's been a great resource for everyone in there to share information and to ask questions to one another. Visit legandbootmedia.ca and fill out the form there to request an invite. And with that, let's go to my interviews. Hello? Hi, is this Karen? This is. This is Ian Bushfield calling you. Oh, hi. Welcome to Canby Report, Karen Ward. So you've gotten a new job with the city of Vancouver. Um, congrats on that, and maybe tell us a little bit about what your role is. Well, it's, in this situation, it, everything uh, you know, it, it changes uh, very, very quickly. You know, I, I, I the, uh, the downtown east side crisis response coordinator, and I'm used to. It's, funny, it's interesting to think about. I'm used to a very slow emergency. You know, we're picked mm-hmm. on for so long in different ways on the overdose or, or uh, uh, crisis for like almost well, for four years. Um, and and this, this, this is a, a matter of weeks and days and hours. It's really striking to see how it plays out and how complicated. I mean, I understand this, this thing about a public health crisis. It, the, the thing about it, I think there, there are two things if it, that are, I've noticed. Part of it is always it's about figure, fighting and, and, and it's a battle about who is the public. Who is human, and the other one is mm-hmm. that um, oh, the other the other one is that uh, it's it, it's actually like this huge knot of complicated factors that create it and and allow it to go on and and make it what it is. It is and and it's uh and it's about choices and it's about like a juncture in, in I don't know I mean it feels like it's it, it's um I mean the way that it's unfolding now it's just like. And the way that we understand what's happening around us, it just seems like a, like a real, you know, window into how we, the choices that we've made politically and, and socially and through for a very long time uh, that have led to this place. And, and uh, it's actually tough to think about it too, too closely. And I think that's why we're not, you know, I think, I think that's why we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you know, people would rather play volleyball or, or what have you. Right. So is your role more being a voice for the city in the downtown east side or being a voice for the downtown east side in the city? First, I'm trying to uh, communicate. Yeah, I guess to some extent in both directions, uh, what people are are experiencing and hearing and saying, what the you know what the local 
understanding of what's happening is, and then trying to get it, okay, no, no, here's some, you know, we do have a very serious fact deficit, and that's a result of losing the media, not having common, uh, you know, common sources of facts anymore. Um, and so, and now, now that it's like just, just uh, beginning to respond, I mean, government's move slow, uh, but this is a pretty fast response in many ways. So I'm working on uh, bringing information back out throughout the neighborhood. I mean, it's not just a low-income neighborhood, um, but help because I think one of the striking things, again, is that this has created a situation of such uncertainty that it actually brought a, a uh, you know, a, a middle-class kind of regular Vancouverite perspective and they're saying, oh, wow, this is kind of like how you guys live. You have no idea what's happening. And I think, oh, my God. You know, and it's, and it's almost that striking. Um, and and it, people don't like that at all. You know, they go, they go they, well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so I'm going to go buy all the toilet paper. I mean, that's how, that's how people down here live, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very, I mean, it's a kind of that sort of thing where the, where the ground's collapsing under you and you don't know where to stand, right? So it's, it's a lot of very... Um, what seeming the birds is a very irrational, uh, just not irrational seeming uh, choices are made in a moment, but they are actually extremely human reactions and choices. Um, right. React, you know, so it's, so I'm trying to like right now there are, it's such a collision of ways to uh, mitigate the situation. The housing, there's food. Uh, you know, don't there's nowhere to eat. Um, so there's food. There's uh, income. You know, check week is next week. Um, are, you can't have, you know, can we possibly have the entire neighborhood? Like, there's no food or resources. People can't stockpile. Last week, they couldn't. They had no money. Um, they, you know, there's, there's the solutions that the, the Swedish governments have proposed so far are not about people here. Um, so, you know, and they live in the most dangerous conditions if they're lucky enough to have housing at all. So we have a lot of complicated things have, that need to happen. Um, and there, there's a lot of, a lot of different uh, government, local government agencies and interests, and you know, house health authority, uh, and the uh, housing, and you know, the shelters, and this every it's very it's like everything compressed. So right. yeah, um, and um, and you know, getting information out and making sure that the ordinary kind of way that people live live uh, you know in the neighborhood in public space don't become really dangerous all of a sudden. You know, because there's that as well. Oh, and plus there's an overdose crisis. You know, uh, there is a, so we've got, now we've got this, the, uh, you know, what's going to happen to the drug supply? What's going to, like, what choice, what are people going to do when they're, if they're isolated? Uh, how are they, you know, what's going to happen then? And that's, that's a very, um, you know, that's a very serious issue because if every time people go outside, they're, they're, uh, you know, uh, making the situation worse. So these are solutions, these are things that we have to consider. And so one of the things that's been interesting to see with this uh, COVID-19 crisis has been, how fast, in many ways, governments are willing to react because, yeah. you know, as you know, we've seen previous crises and emergencies be declared, even relating to the overdose crisis in the downtown east side. But mm -hmm. I can imagine you don't, this is something, you know, this is next level, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was upsetting. When, I mean, when it was like, oh, you did, you know, that was very upsetting to me when, when, it, when they, uh, a few days before they actually formally declared an emergency, uh, you know, the, the, the health minister and um, and now, because here's the measures we're going to take at this point. And, and I, I was just reacted. I was like, oh, you have read the Public Health Act. Oh, you know, you do have these powers. Oh, yeah, I didn't know you had to. You know, it's very, 
You know, you could, oh, you could have called off the police standing in front of the overdose site. You could have eased the burden of criminalization. Oh, you could have raised the welfare rates and not have made this so bad. These are all choices that could have been made in a, in a public health framework. I mean, Dr. Henry is like, he wrote a report last, last April. Uh, and, it was, and it was about decriminalizing people. And it was the same ministers, you know, who said, well, we're not in charge of the substances. It's like, no, she didn't. She said decriminalize drugs. She said people. So, you know, and she, and that was, um, and again, that's a very subtle but clear distinction that Dr. Henry made. And it's important. And she does, and I mean, I have a report. Like, it was less than two weeks ago. That the, the, that the 2019 coroner's uh, um, uh, report came out, in which and Dr. Henry commented on it, saying what we actually need to do is have a safe drug supply so people don't have to go out all the time and put themselves at risk for criminalization. And that's exactly what, like, this is exactly the, the you know, these are the same people making the same clear and logical point, you know, and it breaks, like, it breaks the So tell me about the big news today regarding safe mm-hmm. supply. Well, this is, a, this is a, uh, an exemption for, uh, that Health Canada, uh, you know, again, changing quickly, uh, that has, has, has granted across the board uh, around uh, people, uh, people who are, are currently, again, currently uh, prescribed uh, opiates, any substances at all, actually, any drugs at all uh, that are controlled, um, can have 30-day carries, uh, can uh, have them renewed over the phone, a pharmacist can, can even not just, just do that. Not it's like a new pharmacist that you're not familiar with. Um, and here's the thing: it applies. It applies across the board. It applies going forward under the conditions that we're currently in. That means get your prescriptions now. Go to your doctor tomorrow morning if you use substance. If you use opiates, if you're at risk of overdose, go get your prescription tomorrow. And if your doctor says, well, we don't know how, we don't have a protocol, this, this makes very clear this, the same point that we were making earlier in the week, that if you have to go out to buy drugs that are on the illicit market, you are putting people at risk, and they know that. So right now, if you're, you're, you, the, the, the doctor who's saying, well, I can't prescribe that, is violating a public health order and making, and making the, 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 the contamination worse making the, the, the transmission of the virus worse, putting the entire public at risk. So, I mean, we're basically, you, if, you're, if, you, if you're using, like there's hundreds of people in the neighborhood who are using uh, down, you know, it's not even, you know, it's not heroin, it's using fentanyl. Um, if, if they were to go, they go to a clinic tomorrow morning and say, you could prescribe me this and I get a night, I get a 30-day carry, I could, re, I could renew it over the phone and get it, get it sent to my house. Or my wherever I'm living at that time, by delivery, it doesn't have to be, you know, some kind of secure, you know, lockbox or something like that. These are a significant relaxation of all those things. Um, it, if that doctor says, well, I'm not sure if that's a good idea because I don't feel comfortable. It's like, well, okay, you're you're comfortable with with with, you know, continuing a plague. You're better. That's better for you than putting you're putting hundreds and hundreds of people at risk in a public health context. You'd rather do that than prescribe something that this person uses every day, but is, but is safer. So that's mm-hmm. where we're at right now. So it's a good step. It's a huge step. It's a huge step. And it's, it's all these pieces put, put together. And it's a, you know, uh, it's, 
it's a completely different context, and I'm not sure if everyone realizes this, but this is a very different context that we were in two weeks ago or one week ago, really. And the point I was making at, like, at Health Canada was that set us back over and, and say, like, oh, we're going to become in further contradiction, or, um, or we can say, you, were, you know, you're right. This was irrational. Prohibition is irrational. Time to change and drop it. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten this policy changed. Uh, obviously, you've talked about the importance of getting people housed. Uh, are you yeah. seeing hope there? Reasons for optimism? Anything? Oh, well, um, yeah, actually, we're working on it, like, really uh, diligently. I mean, there's so many. And there are, I mean, let's bear in mind, there's so, there that same problem. These same problems that we have so compressed and, and, uh, and um, like, magnified here in the neighborhood, right, are all over the place. Um, there's a lot of... Dr. Berkowitz back in, in London, Ontario, uh, Dr. Uh, Andrea Serrata, she does, she does a safer supply program there. And they, they're, they're, uh, the city there, they have, uh, have acquired, I'm not sure exactly what their legal process is, but they acquired 50 hotel rooms yesterday. So that's starting now. And um, that's something that I think, like, I think we should seriously consider immediately here because uh, we're running, first, we're running out of time. Secondly, Tourism uh, is not coming back for a while, and also we can. You know, if we this is if we're going to say, look, we're going to this is a public health emergency. This is a pandemic. That means everybody. We can we can we can take that seriously, or we can say, well, I don't know about those people, and and that that kind of uh, insistence on this on this uh, on this uh, like political violence of deciding who's a person and who isn't, and that's one of those people, and that's one of them, and they're one of us, um, we could be serious and try to take care of each other. Definitely. So I guess the last thing I'm thinking about, and then you know, we can go off on anything else you have in mind, is how do we lock in these gains? Like, mm. you know, in a couple weeks, maybe a few months, things quote-unquote return to normal, but normal isn't good enough. No, normal. I don't see that's the thing. It's like I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's like very consciously. Um, why? Like I, I mean, I suppose some would say, well, that's stupid. But but I don't think I don't want to return to a state of being that led us here. You know what I mean? Like if I, what, what, what are we doing this for? You know, this is not very good. It wasn't very good two weeks ago. Um, I mean, it was. This is a. This is a mess. And if you if you're like, well, no, it's okay for me. It's like, well, then you're you. You know, I mean, I think that this is actually when you. This is a, and this is the thing, right? I mean, you can, you can just, you can say, well, this is just something that's going to pass, and we're going to get, get, uh, get everything's going to come back how it was, or we need to work to make it better, and it won't be very easy at all. And because this is actually one of, the, I think this is really, um, this is not something any of us has ever experienced before. None of us have ever, no one, no one, no one alive today, has been in a. Uh, a, um, a seriously, uh, like a, a, a world historical changing moment. Mm-hmm. No, none of us. But we don't know. But we'll work to work. We'll work to, to to do better than where we're at, and we'll work to not only maintain these these uh, small victories, but but do better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess just to close, how are you doing personally? I think I'm kind of I'm tired, and uh, I, I'm. Uh, I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's just like it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. Um, and it's, but I mean, I'm trying to think like, okay, well, this, 
if there's anything that's worth, uh, if it's not, you know, on, and really it's not about, uh, I don't know, what is it? Uh, no, I do, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about what it's about, but it's about, um, you know, it's not about this some policy or that policy or even a neighborhood or a group of people, you know, because it's just like, well, look, you can't, it's about this idea that you can't just like this, you can't just leave this, leave people in this horrible state and be like, well, they didn't know any better. Must have been their fault. I mean, it's, and it, but it is about saying that this isn't okay. And that, you know, and it's not worth, this is not worth fighting to return to. And it's certainly not worth pretending it's fine. I guess that's the biggest thing that I, the, the, the kind of reaction I've been fighting against for like several years now, frankly, is this, is this narrative in the neighborhood that like, this is just how it is. This is just how it is. Just, just deal with it. And it's like, no, damn it. This is not okay at all. All right, Karen Ward, thanks for joining me. Is there anything else you want to get in? No, I think I'm, uh, I'm good. I thought, I don't know if you, I was, uh, I thought that was probably the strangest council meeting I've ever seen today. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, but I was really, actually, I was really happy that they, that they uh, thought we, that the staff was, we recommended the, the uh, releasing the grant money uh, for the social services agency. That was so necessary. And, um, like it doesn't, it probably doesn't sound like that big of a deal. It's not that much money in the grand scheme of things, but to those agencies really needing to think, oh, we got to step up right now. Oh, you know, now, now you can, right? Let's just be thoughtful about that. And what a lot of, a lot of, uh, all kinds of nonprofit agencies around the city do an awful lot with not very much. So I hope it would be neat if like other more, uh, you know, more, um, like, like, this is the point. It's like, this is not that. You can't just, like, shut your doors and go home. I mean, I suppose you can. But wouldn't you rather help? Wouldn't, like, was it enough business? Like, all these people, business associates, unions, everything. Help. Damn it. Like, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it, too. I mean, whether it's, you know, you can, you can, uh, oh, I don't, I mean, of course, I'm going to mind right now. But, like, you know, we need stuff like, like, people need food. People need water. People need money. People need all these things. Just be thoughtful about it. Like, if you have more power, use it well. Like, don't start slamming people for like, oh, that guy stole something out of my car. It's like, well, if he's stealing ten bucks because he's desperate and he, like, he's literally the guy being arrested for stealing food for his family. So, could we possibly get some food? Um, could we possibly, if people are vending on the street, well, why don't we give them somewhere else to vend? You know, it's it's just let's just try to be a little bit more cognizant of what power does of the power that we use every day and how we think about things. This is a very, I, you know, I try to do that thing where I take a step back and look at what the situation is. And we are in a very strange place. And this is not a, this is a strange town of this tremendous wealth and this tremendous sense of self. And then we have this, this thing in the middle of it, you know, where it's just, we, we, we crush and punish the people that we just, you know, polite Canada just loves to crush and punish and not look at, but hurt, but hurt, you know, and we we can't deny that anymore. Let's just this. If we can't, this is about. If we can't, you know, we're not going to we're not going to come out of this at all unless we can start thinking about it as everything that we're doing. We must think about it in terms of justice and equity and a better world that none of us ain't ever going to see. <laughs> I don't yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it. Yeah, uh, you take care of yourself and you yeah, stay healthy. Yeah, stay well too, Ian. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. Garth Mullins, host of Crackdown Pod. Welcome to the Canby Report. 
Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So you just dropped a recent episode of Crackdown that I haven't actually had a chance to listen to yet, where you kind of, I guess, break quickly into what life is like for drug users under COVID-19 lockdown. Uh, I don't want to totally rehash that, and everyone should obviously listen to your podcast, but just quickly, you know, how are you personally doing? What's changed? How are things going? Um, well, for me personally, it's meant that I don't really go anywhere anymore. Um, you know, I haven't gone anywhere for over a week. And uh, it's because um, my partner was in the States just just shy of uh, Tuesday last week, I guess. And I had a coworker that tested positive for COVID-19 um, last week. So, so far so good touch wood we're we're healthy but um we sort of meet the criteria for self-isolation so uh, that's what we're doing that's really intense yeah so we're making the radio show from the bedroom and uh, talking to people over the phone and um you know kind of it's dialing into meetings instead of being there Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's like you know when you're organizing with people you kind of want to be there with them be there with your comrades and when you're meeting with government people well, like my friend Guy says, he says he likes to be in the room with them so we can see when they roll their eyes at something he says. <laughs> so what are you hearing, though, more from other people who, you know, are either out on the streets or in a rougher situation, uh, other drug users? How are they doing? Yeah, so some people, uh, like my, a friend who lives a few blocks away, they're trying to stay at home as much as they can. And they were sort of just evicted and just found a new place by the skin of their teeth. So they're just getting by. They were down to their last frozen pizza a few days ago. So it's kind of touch and go. Then there's some people whose work means they can't really self-isolate, like people who are working in harm reduction spaces. And then there's people who are just like, um, you know, just like don't have the ability to do that at all. Like they can't self-isolate. And of course, almost all of us are having to go every day to the pharmacy to pick up methadone or to a drug dealer to score drugs because, well, a lot of people I've talked to have just said, look, the possibility of COVID-19 is one thing, but the total certainty of dope sickness, if I don't, if I don't take those measures, is another. And so they have to kind of balance the, the terrible sickness that would come to them for sure versus the, the possible sickness. So people are trying to do the right thing, but they don't yet have all the tools to do it. So I was just talking with Karen Ward about the change that came down from Health Canada today, and you were telling me over DMs that you are partially responsible for some of that wording that allows people to get extended prescriptions, allows them to get prescriptions for controlled drugs easier if they need them. Tell tell me a bit more about how that came about. Well, I've been um, you know hassling provincial and federal officials about methadone for about five years, and about uh, two weeks ago, my hassling started to turn into um, we really got to make it easier for people to get their hands on the methadone. You know, so less trips to the doctor's office, less trips to the pharmacy, less less urine screening, like any any of those things, like more the ability to get what you need and take a pile of it home with you. And there's a lot of rules that make that difficult. And those rules are distributed between the federal government, the provincial government and a college of pharmacists and all over the place. And so just you have to meet with all those people and you have to arm twist and bag and all that. And so um, the, the Health Canada, I guess, um, heard that. Um, there's one particular staffer in there who's really um, picked up on some of the stuff and really championed 
some of these issues and kind of ran ran that letter through the system. And so, um, uh, like, I don't, I feel like I don't want to blow up their spot, but you know, props props to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping that the the province and others will start doing their part. I already see pieces moving in the provincial and the, and the regulatory system, but also that this message has to start in Ottawa and end in the doctor's office and pass through about 10 different pinch points between. So the doctors and the pharmacists also have to finally know about this message. So I'm hoping that these sort of directives like, um, you know, make it easier for people to get their method on or whatever. I hope that starts coming out of the mouth of, uh, you know, Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix and, uh, uh, Teresa Tam and uh, Justin Trudeau, whoever, you know? Yeah, one of the things I was talking with Karen about is just, you know, we've seen health emergencies declared in the downtown east side over the overdose crisis, but this emergency has been so different than I think anything anyone in Canada or most of the world has experienced in their lifetime where governments can apparently act and act quickly. Sure, you just have to have the right people dying. See, before the wrong people were dying. So we had a declared public health emergency here in BC for since 2016. And there were no extreme measures taken. There was no sense of urgency. There was no rapid deployment of money. There was no daily press conferences. Nobody was sweating it. I mean, it just never felt like a real emergency. Um, and I, the only reason you can conclude that is that over those four years, and those 4,000 people that have died and are still dying and did probably three or four die today in BC, it wasn't the right kind of evil. So if maybe they need CEOs and hedge fund managers and members of parliament and the wives of prime ministers or whatever to be um, potentially affected. I mean, the, the irony is that everybody in society uses drugs. And so the truth is that lots of different kinds of people uh, can be hit by fatal overdose. It's just the perception from Ottawa or, or Victoria or whatever, is that it only affects a, a certain type of people. And certainly it, it can hit um, marginalized people a lot harder, but um, no one's immune. And there was even a, uh, I think an MLA or even a cabinet minister of, in the province whose uh, son-in-law may have passed over the last year from this. Wow. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's true. It's, and it's very frustrating to see, here's a government that's like, they're declaring emergencies, sealing borders, closing businesses, shutting down the country. Um, and this is just happening so quickly. And ours, we just could never, ours, <laughs> I guess we're experiencing both. But I mean, the overdose crisis, mm-hmm. we could just never, we could just never get anyone's attention like this. So it's bittersweet because you have to take your anger about that and you just have to shove it down and roll up your sleeves and get to work on this one because you, you just got no choice. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I'm personally hopeful for is that some of these policy changes and gains to make life easier for people and to make life hopefully safer in the long term can be locked in. Uh, do you have optimism there? Well, yeah, a couple things. First of all, I hope they come. So, right, you know, like, there's movement and there's promises, but I, I don't I don't have the luxury of, of treating that with good, you know, as good faith effort and promises before that never materialize. So, like, I'll believe it when it's happening on the ground. And then yeah, I agree with you. We'll fight like hell if they try to claw those things back. But in my mind, too, um, they're taking measures that, that governments haven't really taken since World War II. You know, I mean, the American government is starting to think about uh, seizing industry and having industry produce for the crisis instead of making, uh, I don't know, segues or whatever other crap they're making. You know, and uh, 
And, you know, something like that could happen in Canada, too. And suddenly governments are remembering, wow, we're the state. We could actually do shit. And at the same time, the virus is like a mirror. It just it's held up this reflection of what capitalism is really like to everyone. And now everyone sees everyone sees that if you work in the gig economy, you're vulnerable. If you don't have sick days, you're vulnerable. If you work in the service sector and that goes out, you're vulnerable. If you're a drug user, if you're marginally housed, if you if you can't afford the expenses of just getting in a bit of extra food in. I mean, suddenly more than half the population, we're all in the same boat now. You know, so uh, I'm hoping that that bolt of lightning realization can actually transform a lot. So we have this we have this kind of inflection point in history right now. Maybe we can really make some great changes. Of course, on the right, the far right, they're watching this too. And they're thinking, well, it's, it's time for us. You know, because every time there's a crisis, there's opportunity for uh, the left and for socialism and, and more socialist kind of perspectives. But there's also, um, you know, the, the far right season says we need to crack down on everything. We need authoritarianism and strong measures. And so we, we might see a great competition of ideas, but certainly the center, the middle way, the, the status quo as it was two weeks ago, that's blown up for good. So what tangible changes are you looking for? Like what policy gains beyond just, you know, safe supply, easier access to drugs for those who need well, them are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're saying right now, no more eviction. Right? You can't evict someone during a crisis. Rent freeze, forgive student loans, give people sick leave, give people job security, let the gig economy unionize, uh, let more people have access to ER, you know, let people, let people get whatever pharmaceuticals they need paid for um, by Medicare at the point of service, you know, at the point of purchase. Um, you know, these, and these are just a start. These are the kinds of things that have made people precarious. We got a city with 25,000 empty homes. Let's expropriate some of that. Let's put that to work. People are outraged when they see newspaper articles or whatever about people hoarding toilet paper. People in the city are hoarding housing, and people in this country are hoarding capital. So if we're pissed off about toilet paper, we should just be livid at the hoarding of those other things, and we should seek to redistribute them. I mean, I'm not disagreeing, but I'm sure some of our listeners are a little bit more centrist. But... Well, bring it on. Exactly. You, you, you can you can shout out my Twitter handle. Sounds good. At Garth Mullen. So let's bring it back to uh, the personal on the ground experience. Uh, you mentioned staffing changes, and you've talked on your Twitter about uh, things that have to change, have had to change at safe consumption sites. Maybe just walk us through uh, what those look like for users on a day to day basis. Well, right now, I mean, I'm still getting updates just today on what um, harm reduction places and safe injection sites are open and what are closed. Um, I, I know there's conversations going on all over between the people who run them and the people who regulate them. Um, people are trying to find ways to make them operate, but um, where people are less densely packed. So, you know, I, I, I think that those efforts are, are ongoing now. Like at the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, for example, we run an a injection room in the back. And it can usually hold six people at a time. So we made that go down to three so that everyone can maintain a distance from each other. There's a little extra room where people can go if, they're, if they got to use, but they're, they're, you know, they're fevery or they're, they're feeling any of those symptoms. Um, and then there's also meeting spaces in Bandu because the 
it's more like a drug user union. Mostly what we do is have meetings there and plan actions and campaigns and that sort of thing. And so the meetings are usually kind of, they can be around 30 people in the, in the big room. And um, so we cut that in half. You know, so unfortunately, it means we have to turn a lot of people away from meetings now. Uh, but it's, it's doing the same thing. It's trying to give people that um, ability to socially distance themselves. Um, and it seems like that's the compromise that's available. right? Now. Are your members and supporters or your, the people you're connected with, I assume they don't have the same um, luxuries, let's say, of access to computers and Zoom as often as, you know, virtual conferencing. So is it like if they can't be there in person, there's like, are there telephone other options available? Yeah, I mean, we have been doing some meetings uh, virtually, and uh, certainly lots of our members have have great computer skills, and so we have no problem doing that. Um, not everybody has access to computers, and, um, you know, one in five people in Canada don't really have good internet access. So a lot of our membership are just like them without internet access. So it's like we we try to organize um and we have for years, you know, using email and all those kind of tools. But we also try to have just broad membership meetings where people could come in and talk face to face. I I think that everyone also recognizes in the rest of the world that sometimes you just got to have in person meetings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, we're we're trying to use that, and I I imagine the conversations uh, will continue. You know, we have um, we have also like I was supposed to uh, I was supposed to. Um, Skype into a meeting today and it didn't quite work out. So it's, it's like it's there's still rough patches there for sure. Oh my God, I've spent so much of my life struggling over video conferencing systems. And this, <laughs> you know, how many people are just being thrown into it this last couple of weeks is just wild. Yeah. But it seems to not be going terribly for a lot of people. You, you know, and I was on a meeting with 85 drug users and activists and, and a few uh, doctors and academics from all over North America on, I think it was Tuesday night, and we did it through a go-to meeting. And, you know, just like like any meeting of anybody from the corporate or government world, there was a lot of, please mute, mute your mic, please mute your mic, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, no, I don't think any more so than any other group of people, and, mm-hmm. and I think people did pretty good, you know. That's good to hear. Yeah. So I won't keep you too much longer. Um, what are some of the things that are giving you hope right now? about this time that's otherwise kind of doubly dark? Uh, I, you know, I guess the fact is that I, I have worked with a group of people who have, we've all survived this public health emergency together. And in fact, I, I survived with some of the people on my editorial board of my podcast. We lived through the one in the 90s. It was a Vancouver declared public health emergency for the spread of HIV and, and an overdose crisis then too. So this is our third, for some of us, our third declared public health emergency. And we kind of live harm reduction right to the bone. So when when people are like, wash your hands and cough in your sleeve and don't touch each other, don't touch your face, uh, stay in your house as much as you can and stuff, that, that's all harm reduction. Like we understand exactly the principles that are, we're, we're trying to go for there. And we're also pretty creative at finding the workarounds to tough situations and tough regulations. And we've also gotten good at kind of pestering government, uh, trying to nudge them along. So what gives me hope is I already am working with a group of people who are uniquely well positioned to face some of these challenges. So that gives me hope. What also scares me is a lot of us are middle-aged, immunocompromised, um, 
got COPD and can't really take the same precautions as everybody else. And so I'm scared to lose, I'm scared to lose people who are close to me, you know? Uh, I, so I, I feel hopeful, but also scared, probably like everybody. All right. Is there anything, any message you want to pass along to people? What, of what people could do? What, you know, how can they support the cause for, you know, a more just world? <laughs> Should they just you listen know, to your <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I'd love to say that. I mean, I wish I knew, you know, you know, I, I think when there's times like this, uh, and they've, they've come up through history, it's like the project for building a new society is something we all got to figure out together. Like there's no blueprint that I can kind of pull down off the shelf that was written by Trotsky a million years ago or something like that. It's, it's just like, we all have to engage in this democratic process of doing it together. And it, it sounds like we would be all isolating ourselves into little bubbles. But actually, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people will realize what's important to them and make connections through whatever means they can to the people around them or rebuild those connections. And I think that's that's the key. Like we have been taught my whole life that it's all about competition. We've lived under the banner from Margaret Thatcher. There really is no such thing as society. Well, now we're being told that solidarity and collective action is the key to our survival. And that means we have to really, really believe it. And if we really believe it and we really deeply invest in that idea, that will produce a different kind of future. That sounds good. All right, Garth Mullins, <laughs> you stay safe and say, stay healthy. Yeah, you too, Ian. Take it easy, and I hope you and the people around you are um, staying safe and not going too squirrely. Absolutely not. We're doing great. All right. Good night. Thanks. See ya. <laughs>